Dear God, I thank you for each person here. We are grateful for your incredible kindness to us, for your patience. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, who is the comforter, who comes alongside us in times of difficulty and challenge. And Lord, I just pray that you would walk with us, um, those of us that are in seasons of difficulty and pain. And I just pray that you would bless us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If your learning style is, is to be helped by an outline, there is one of those in the bulletin as well. And also just one other thing to mention, next week after church, after this service, there is a light lunch for those who are interested. If you haven't gotten to know our elder candidates, uh, they're in the bulletin as well. There's some information about them and the um, criteria or the requirements for elders uh, from the scripture. It's on the back of that sheet. But uh, if you want to stay after the service next week, uh, there'll be a light lunch and an opportunity to meet them if you haven't gotten to meet them. So I want you to be aware of that. All right. Uh, author Jerry Sitzer tells about one time he was talking with his wife, Linda. They've been married about 20 years. And one day they were just having one of those really sweet moments. And she turned to him and she said, I can't imagine life being any better than it is right now. Now the next day, um, they were a homeschool family. They decided um, mom was teaching the kids and they were doing a unit on, um, you know, the American Indians and, and that culture. And so they decided she had arranged for them to go to a powwow. And so the whole family went to the, this powwow and along with his mother um, and his wife and the three children. And as they left the powwow, they're driving down the road and um, a... A drunk driver came, and he was going 85 miles an hour, came around the curve, crossed the double yellow lines, um, and hit them head on. In that accident, the drunk driver's wife, and, who was pregnant, was killed, along with the baby. And Jerry uh, watched as both his mother, his wife of 20 years, and his four-year-old daughter all died in that accident because of that person's irresponsibility. His two-year-old son, his femur was broken, and the next several hours were spent, even with um, the pain medication, that child just screaming, and just, just the nightmare of trying to uh, minister in the midst of his own trauma and stress and anxiety to the two children that he had left of his family. Now, most of us don't have trauma, sorrow, and grief at a level like that, as dramatic as that. But all of us have moments of pain and sorrow and difficulty and loss. It is part of life. And so we want to talk today about grief and loss and how we walk that out. Maybe you saw the TikTok video that went viral of the mom talking about her little boy um, her husband, his father, had died, and the little boy had packed a bag, and he said he was going to go visit his dad in heaven the next day. And she opens up and pulls out the different items that he had packed to go see his father. Grief and loss touches all of us. Jerry, whose story I just told you, he talked about how for months he just played the game. He called it the if-only game. If only we hadn't gone to that powwow. If only we'd stayed a little longer. If only, and it, the list went on and on and on. 
as he ran through that on how his life would be so different. Grief and loss is complex. It's painful. It's difficult. You know, a natural um, loss feels more like maybe a broken bone. A traumatic loss, a catas- you know, catastrophe, feels like maybe an amputation. But loss is loss. And one of the mistakes is when we try, we make is when we try to compare our loss with others and like, well, I can't feel bad because somebody else has it worse. Every loss is unique, nuanced, multifaceted. Jerry, whose story I shared, he talked about how he said, I, I didn't realize my identity, you know, part of my identity would be so attacked. He said, I had been a husband and now I wasn't you know, for two decades. And he said it just loss, deep loss, can affect us in so many different ways. He talked about how the memories at first, he said they the memories of my wife and my marriage and, and my little girl and my mom. He said at first those memories were like torment to me. He said now as I've moved through this and moved, um, moved forward in my life, those memories are comfort and encouragement but it takes time. None of us love sorrow. None of us are excited about it. But I appreciate Jerry Sitzer sharing his story. He says this, he said, the soul is elastic like a balloon. It can grow larger through suffering. God allows, sometimes even sends, suffering in our lives. And we mature because of it. Or at least we can mature through it. So how do we deal with grief and loss? Well, a lot of Americans deal with um, death and grief and loss kind of as denial. They just deny it's happening or they try to numb themselves, maybe drugs, alcohol, entertainment, whatever can be found that would numb um, the sorrow or the pain or the loss. But we need to not try to do that. We need to acknowledge the loss. We need to grieve the pain. Adam Young says, he's a counselor, he says, if you have sorrow, it does not mean there is something wrong with you. It means you are paying attention. We live in a fallen, broken world. And some of you may be in a deep season of loss and grief right now. The rest of us, it's probably coming at some point. Or maybe it's in your past. But loss is part of life. It's woven through it. Ecclesiastes, the great uh, King Solomon, says that there is a time to mourn. And so we shouldn't deny our grief and loss. We shouldn't try to numb it. We should step into it. Now, healthy grieving for a major loss, it can take a year. It can take two years, sometimes even five. One of the ways we try to deal with this in a healthy way, biblically, and sometimes Christians don't realize this, but one big way is lament not a typical word that we use in common conversation. It just simply means to express your pain, to verbalize it. Now, some Christians, they, like that doesn't feel holy, like we're supposed to always smile and, and everything's always going well, even if our marriage is hanging by a thread, even if one of our chi- children is addicted to drugs, even if you fill in the blank. But understand, we are allowed and encouraged to lament Even God experiences sorrow and loss and talks about it 
In Isaiah, he talks about how his Holy Spirit is grieved by the rebellion and the sin of Israel. If you read the story in Genesis of the flood, you see like a grieved parent. He grieves over creating mankind in his image, and yet mankind turned and walked in in such wickedness. When you look at the story of God, he's portrayed in Scripture often as a troubled parent or a spouse who's been cheated on. Our sinfulness, our rebellion affects God. And if a holy God can respond with grief and loss, we can as well. We're allowed to express our pain. We're allowed to welcome that pain and to talk about it and to be honest about it. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 21, we see the prophet Jeremiah does this. He says, since my people are crushed, I am crushed. I mourn and horror grips me. Imagine if our nation were overtaken by an enemy power and hundreds or thousands of our people were exiled, dragged off into exile. That's what Jeremiah was dealing with. No wonder he expressed pain to God, sorrow, grief, and loss. We need to take our pain seriously. We need to tend to our wounds. Just as if we have a a deep physical wound, we don't just ignore that. We tend to it. We go to a doctor. We do what we're told to do to try to help this. Sometimes we're afraid of the depth of our sorrow. And we need to not do that. We need to try to walk into it. Somebody told me just this morning after the first service said that one of the slogans from Promise Keepers, they said, if you want to heal it, feel it. And if you want to leave it, grieve it. I think there's a lot of truth in that. Feelings give us a window on what's going on in our heart. And God calls us to honesty. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're, what's processing deep inside of you. So you might as well tell him. David does this over and over again in the Psalms. Psalm 6, he says, I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. In Psalm 10, he says, why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? So he even expresses aggravation, even anger at the Lord. Psalm 13, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Pour out your feelings to God unedited. I'm not saying that necessarily if you're in a small group that you want to give all your unedited thoughts month after month. When you're alone with God, just be honest. And I hope when you're with other people that there are some that you can be very honest and open about. Lament is part of our posture towards God. It allows us, He allows us the freedom to be open about what's going on. It's part of having a real relationship with Him. I'm always amazed at what's in Scripture. I mean, some of the big names in Scripture, Job, go read what he said. He poured out his heart, his anger, his frustration towards God. In Job chapter 3, he even talked about how he wished he were dead, wished he had, you know, had died. And you think, well, that's pretty extreme. Well, Rebecca did that in Genesis 27. Moses did it in Numbers 11. Elijah the prophet did it in 1 Kings 19. And Jonah did it in Jonah chapter 4. Jeremiah 
did it, the prophet in Jeremiah 20. We see all these leaders in the faith, in many ways heroes, and yet they had their dark moments, and they expressed those freely and openly to God in lament. And so give yourself permission. Have compassion, a posture of compassion towards your grief and your loss. God understands it. Read through the whole Bible and you find big sections of lament. You have lamentations. You have the book of Job. You have these psalms woven throughout. This is part of the Christian life. We can talk and pray candidly. And so I encourage you to do that because it is a faithful response to who God is and the brokenness and sometimes the sheer wickedness of the world. Jerry, whose story I told you, to kind of finish the story, when, um, when the crash occurred, the drunk driver and his wife were both thrown out of their car. And despite the fact that they had a witness who had seen him driving, you know, get in the car on the driver's seat, and despite the fact that at the accident scene he said to a witness that he was driving, because he, they were thrown out of the car, somehow in the court case, they managed to convince, I don't know, one or two jurors or what, that he wasn't driving, that the, his dead wife was driving. So there was no punishment. And Jerry talked about the anger he felt over that, the pain over that injustice. And so we're allowed to feel. And we're allowed to communicate that with God. It is crucial one practical exercise you may want to do, if you're in a season of real pain, of real loss, of real grief, you may want to just take a blank sheet of paper and write for a bit. Write your own psalm of lament. There's power in expressing it in writing. There's something about that. Many people journal through difficult seasons and they find help in that. One author said of this, uh, he said, Joy is not absence of suffering, it is the presence of God. And part of the beauty is that God will step into all of that. Whatever you experience, whatever pain you're feeling, He says He is with us, no matter what. So the next idea is, so we are to lament, but second, we are to lean into community. Last week, I talked about loneliness. Hopefully, in our good times, we are building bridges with those around us so that we have built community where we bear other people's burdens, where we serve other people when they're hurting, where we come alongside them when they're struggling. But when we're in those moments, we allow others to come alongside of us. Richard Felix, whose wife died of cancer, talks about one time having dinner with Jack and Anna Hayford. Jack Hayford's a pretty famous pastor and author. And Richard said, here they were in the throes of his wife's battle with cancer, and Jack Hayford, you know, they kind of looked to him as a, a mentor, as a friend. Do you have any advice? And he told him several things, but Richard said what stood out to him the most was he said this. He said, let others serve you. Accept help. Let people come alongside of you. But you have to express that you need it. You have to express what would practically help. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. And so the body of Christ, 
and other Christians that you know, we try to walk alongside of people and help each other. Romans 12.15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. I'm so impressed at the beginning of the book of Job. Now, they didn't do as well as it went along. But Job's friends, they show up when Job has lost his money, he's lost his wealth, he's lost his children, um, he's lost his health. He's going through all of this, and his friends show up, and they sit with him for a week. They sit with him for seven days. They offer him the gift of their presence. And I think that is a beautiful gift. I mean, seriously, how many seven-day friends do you have if you're in a jam? Have you built those kinds of relationships? Now, if you watch what they say as it goes on, they probably should have just stuck with silence. And sometimes we need to just stick with silence. Because they focused on, they thought maybe he brought it on himself, and that's not what happened in the book of Job. But we need to lean into community. We're very individualistic here in the United States. But we are to do life with others. We're made in the image of a triune God who is, and it's this great mystery of the Christian faith, he is one God but triune. There's a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a community. And so I want to ask you this morning, who will sit with you in your pain, in your season of difficulty? And if you don't have an answer for that, you need to start building some bridges because you will have moments and you will have seasons of pain. I appreciate what Jesus does when he faces the cross. We just celebrated the Lord's Supper, and we kind of look at it as, um, you know, this ordinance he gives us, this symbolic meal that he offers us. And I think that's obviously true. But also, notice that Jesus is facing the cross. What does he do? He has a meal with his friends. He leans into his community. He asks them to go with him to the garden and and to keep watch. Now, they don't do great. They fall asleep. But notice what Jesus does. He leans into community in his time of suffering. Human beings are not made to heal solo. Are there lonely times? Are there solo times? Yes, but we're not made to heal solo. We're made to heal in community. We need other people to help us process our sorrow. Maybe it's that youth sponsor that came alongside you in some troubling times when you were a teenager. Maybe it's that coworker. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's a therapist, a counselor, a mentor, a friend. Find those people and lean into that community. Sometimes in the community, we can have rituals. Not all of them are done with other people, but some are. When somebody has a loss, let's say someone dies, often you'll see that person has some rituals, some things that they do. Maybe a child dies and the parent goes in or the parents together go into the room and they, they keep that child's room untouched for quite some time. And they go in and just sit and remember. And it brings them some comfort and encouragement. And that's a ritual that they do together. You could do it alone, but they do it together. There are moments need to you know, have expressions. We have funeral services. In different cultures, they have different lengths. You know, in some cultures, it's, it's multiple days. 
the ancient Jewish people, when Moses died, 40 days of mourning. As a nation, they came together and mourned this great loss of this incredible leader. Jerry Sitzer, whose story I told you at the beginning, he talked about this ritual that he had. In his backyard, there was, he, had, he had once had this beautiful tree that got cut down because it, it wasn't doing well. And so it's just this big stump. And he said he would go out and he looked at this big stump and he thought he remembered the life he had with his mom, with his wife, with his four-year-old daughter. And he looked at the life he had now, single dad of two children, two hurting children, grieving children. And he was just drowning in his own pain in certain moments. And he said, I felt like that stump and it felt like a picture, a metaphor for my life. But a ritual he had was he's like, okay, I'm going to landscape. And so he landscaped all around the stump and put in flowers and made it beautiful. And so in the midst of his pain, he found beauty. And the kids would help him, you know, put in stuff. And this became a ritual of healing for them. And so you want to find these places, these things that can help you. We just had communion, which I think is a ritual of healing. Facing the full ugliness of our sin that Jesus had to die to pay the price for it. But this ritual of healing for us, that the price was paid, that we can be forgiven, that God does love us fully and completely and paid that price because of that love. The next idea, the final idea is hope. So we want to lament, we also want to lean into community, but we also want to hope that confident ex- grieving man said that, um, he said, I looked at my life and he said, um, he said, my life is, is like a book. It's like this amazing, good book. And this, this incident, this tragedy is one bad chapter in an otherwise incredible book. Many of us have a few bad chapters but that's an image. We want to be people of hope that the end is not written yet. That as Christians, we have the incredible hope and certainty of eternity, of the new heavens and the new earth, of the very presence of God, of a place without sin or mourning or tears. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, it says this, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. There is a fundamental difference between a non-Christian's funeral and a Christian's funeral. A non-Christian funeral, there is no hope. There is no confidence. There might be a vague belief in the afterlife, but there's no reason to have a confidence about that. But for the Christian, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can have confidence, we can have certainty that there is life after death, that there is wholeness and there is newness and there is joy that lasts forever. In Matthew 5, 4, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We are comforted in the great doctrine of the resurrection of heaven and eternity. We are comforted because this is not the end of the story. Death and sin and brokenness do not have the last word. The last word is God's love. The last word is Jesus. Some Christian counselors use a, a diagram they call the U diagram. I don't know who made it. It's very simple. 
kind of based on the heart of the Jesus narrative. And so at the top of the U, you have Friday. Imagine you're an apostle. Imagine you're somebody who has given your life to following Jesus Christ. He's your friend. He's your Lord. You believe he's the long-awaited Messiah. And you watch on Friday as he is whipped, as he is crucified, as he dies. This is one of the most traumatic possible things that could happen in your life. And you watch this. You have invested three and a half years You have invested your faith and your love and your friendship in this man and you watched everything you thought was going to happen turned on its head and you're absolutely devastated. There's this incredible trauma that is Friday. And then you go down to you, there's Saturday. We don't talk much about Saturday in the Christian church, but imagine what Saturday was like for those apostles. Imagine the sorrow and the fear and the desperation It was shattering. It was a shattering Saturday for them. They were behind locked doors. They were frightened. They were disappointed. They were heartbroken. And so they went to the bottom of the U. And then here comes Sunday, resurrection. And everything flips again. And they have confidence and hope and joy. And there is laughter again among them. They're standing between, you know, among them is the risen Christ. And so this U diagram just gives us a little picture. Whatever your trauma, whatever your tragedy, whatever your loss is, you're going to have to go down into the Saturday. You're going to have to walk into those feelings. You're going to have to feel them and deal with them and wrestle with them. But eventually, because of the Christian faith, we're able to come up to Sunday. We're to experience the confident expectation that God comes through. It doesn't always feel like that in this life, but there is resurrection, and there is heaven, and there is the new heavens, new earth. And so the resurrection shatters all hopelessness. You know, God specializes in the impossible. He steps in. You know, there's this old couple that can't have children, Abraham and Sarah, But then they have a child, and they become the father and mother of nations. It's incredible. Queen Esther is a Jewish queen that has hidden her identity, and her husband has been talked into ordering an an execution order for the entire Jewish race within the Persian kingdom. And Esther, she goes and she prays, and she has the other Jewish men and women pray for her, and she eventually goes and sees her husband, the king, risking death, Because in that culture, she wasn't allowed to approach the king. No one could approach him unless he sent for you. And she approaches him. She invites him to a meal. There's a whole little process. But she gets him to issue a different order that the Jews can defend themselves, uh, that the uh, army can help them, that they can defend them. And the Jews go from this day that would have been a slaughter and a massacre to an incredible day of victory. God specializes in the impossible. And so when you're feeling like it's Friday, remember Sunday. Don't try to run across the top of the U. The counselors say that's a disaster. You know, you try to numb yourself with drugs or alcohol or entertainment or whatever it might be. You got to just plow right into it. Go into the abyss of the difficulty, of the pain. God promises he can bring good from bad. 
and we may not always see it. It may be later that it's revealed to us. God doesn't see death even the same way we do. In Psalm 116, it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. He doesn't see death as loss. He sees death as an arrival. Just as a little baby in a mother's womb is like, my whole world is changing. I'm leaving this warm, beautiful, you know, it's dark place. And now what is going on? The mother and father don't see that as a death. The child is terrified and frightened. But the mother and father see that birth as life, as an arrival, as a whole new reality opens up for that little baby. God does offer us hope. It turns into joy. Psalm 31 says, uh, You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. And what God has done for David, he will do for us. I want to read to you, Vivian Felix wrote a prayer. She had a battle with cancer and lost the battle with cancer. And it was a tough time in her life and obviously in the life of her husband. But I appreciated one of her journal entries. She wrote this when she began to realize how it was going to end, at least here. But she was Christian, so she had an eternal hope. She said this. She said, I started this journal to record my journey to wellness. I have not done well by it, but today I am impressed to change it to a record of my spiritual journey. 21 Badgered, pleaded, wept, screamed, yelled at, tried to manipulate, shamed, reminded every tactic I could think of, and I have expressed every emotion felt by one who is dying of cancer. I have prayed for a sign, asked and hoped for a sign that the Lord would heal me. Nothing has come. All I seem to get is, trust me. And then as she goes further, she says this, but I know in my heart that you are good and loving and the giver of peace. So now I ask that you turn my mind and my heart from my illness to you. I am ready. Nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling, which is a line from a hymn. However it resolves in the here and now, Understand that for the Christian, resurrection always gives us a reason to hope. And eternity awaits us. So the big idea this morning as we think about grief and loss and pain and sorrow is, Lord, teach us to lament, but with hope. Lord, teach us to lament, but with hope. I'm going to pray and then Evan, our church planter resident is going to share for about five minutes um, their project. He did share longer than that last week, but um, not everybody comes every week, so we wanted to give him five minutes to just share about his church plant in northern Idaho. But let me pray, and we'll turn it over to him. Dear God, I thank you for this time together. We are grateful. We are grateful for your promises. We are grateful for your presence. We are grateful for your comfort and encouragement. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the many good gifts that you give us. Lord, we thank you for community, for those who are friends in our lives, those who would walk beside us in times of pain. Lord, help us to have those kind of eyes, to see opportunities to serve, 
to be people who comfort those around us. Lord, I lift up in, just in particular whoever is hurting today. They're in this size of group, somebody's kid is wrapped up in addiction. Somebody's lost a child. Somebody's battling an illness. Somebody's fighting depression. I pray that your Holy Spirit would step in and there would be a profound sense of your presence and that you would offer healing and help and that you would come alongside. And Lord, we thank you for the confident expectation of eternity that is found only in Jesus Christ. This is our prayer in the name of your Son. Amen.